Welcome to the podcast of Grace and Peace Church. We're glad you're journeying with us, and we hope that you find value from the teachings. If you'd like to connect or support the mission of Grace and Peace Church, check us out at graceandpeacechurch.org or find us on Instagram or Facebook. Grace and Peace. Well, uh, be sure to pay attention because when you lead this at home with this do-it-yourself kit, you'll be expected to recite my entire sermon verbatim. So be sure to memorize, release the major points. So there are no major points. There's just one point. I'm pretty sure it has to do with Jesus and hope. Well done. Hey, she's ready. You got this. You got this. Now that you got your children armed with lighters, and now you know it's about hope, we'll teach you the children's Illuminati hand signs and all will be well. What's he talking about? Don't listen to me. All right, well, let's go ahead and start talking about hope uh, and what this candle signifies and where we draw our hope from. So I am going to ask you to turn to Isaiah chapter 57. Now, you may not know this, but Isaiah has three major sections. The first section is chapter 1 through 39, and it's all about judgment. It's kind of a downer. Right? They, they call this the mini Bible, Isaiah, because there's 39 chapter, or 39 books of the Old Testament, 39 chapters of Isaiah, judgment. Then it moves into chapter 40 to chapter 55 is about comfort. But chapter 56 to chapter 66 is about hope. So we're going to go to that section. Chapter 57, and we're going to read from verse 14. And it will be said, build up, build up, prepare the road, remove the obstacles out of the way of my people. For this is what the high and exalted one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a high and holy place but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. I will not accuse them forever, nor will I always be angry for then they would faint away because of me, the very people I've created. I was enraged by their sinful greed. I punished them and I hid my face in anger and yet they kept on in their willful ways. Sound familiar, anyone? I have seen their ways, but I will heal them. I will guide them and restore comfort to Israel's mourners, creating praise on their lips. Peace, peace to those far and near, says the Lord, and I will heal them. Now that passage is loaded with hope. It touches a little bit on peace at the end, but you're going to have to wait. So the right Sunday, don't get ahead. Peace is for later. That's coming. But there's a song that I want to share with you. Uh, it's called Peace on Earth. It's by U2. Never know who writes what because U2 shares their rights equally, uh, including their author rights. You never know who's pinning what. But all four of them are very strong believers. And they wrote a song 
And it's about hope. It's about struggling with hope. It's about finding it difficult to keep your hope up, particularly in the light of Christmas. This is called Peace on Earth. And hear this almost as like a prayer. That's how Bono writes a lot of his music. He says, heaven on earth, we need it now. I'm sick of all of this hanging around. Sick of sorrow. Sick of pain. Sick of hearing again and again that there's going to be peace on earth. Jesus, can you take the time to throw a drowning man a line? To tell the ones who hear no sound, whose sons are living in the ground, peace on earth. Jesus, in the song you wrote, the words are sticking in my throat. Peace on earth. I hear it every Christmas time, but hope and history won't rhyme. So what's it worth, this peace on earth? Now, I know what you're thinking. Whoa, why did that guy just read that blasphemous song out on a Sunday morning when we're talking about hope? Because we live in the real world. And you two rocks in the real world. And they share their faith in the real world. When you talk to people about peace on earth, the first question they're going to ask is, yeah? Where? And so here's the deal. Jesus came and he brought the kingdom. But the kingdom has not yet fully come. The kingdom has come 2,000 years ago. The kingdom is coming now. The kingdom is growing all the time. And the kingdom will fully and finally come. And so we live in this tension between the already and not yet. And because, like I said, Bono is a strong believer. He wrote a book. um, It just came out. If you're not living under a rock, you know almost every talk show or radio show interviews. The book is called Surrender. And it's all about his life told through the lens of 40 songs. Now, 40 being significant to you, too, because uh, the song 40, right? Which is Psalm 40, put to rock music. So if you're like, I'm not sure about these guys, just keep listening. But almost every page in that book is about Jesus and the effect that Christ has had on his life. And he confesses when he writes a song like what we just read, he says, these are not my thoughts. I try sometimes to put myself in the cockpit of somebody else's life, hearing the message of Christianity. And then I do what the psalmist did. I do what Job did. I do what the prophets did. I wrestle sometimes with what I see around me versus what I'm told to hope for. You see, today we're going to talk about hope. I said you see. I did not say Siri. Shoosh. But the difficult thing about hope is hope has hardwired into it waiting. Who here loves to wait? Anybody? Any takers? You just love waiting. The old song says, they say that waiting is the hardest thing to do. And that's what Bono's speaking into in that song. The difficulty of waiting. Because waiting is the ticket price admission of hope. If you're going to have hope, you've got to pay for it. And the price of admission is waiting. You can't have hope. Ooh, hope's a wonderful thing. Yes, it is. It's a wonderful thing if your hope is magnificent. It's like a little kid, Christmas Eve, quivering, excited, 
Can't wait for Christmas morning. But that waiting is tough. And you learn that at a young age when you want that Red Ryder BB gun 12 action. And today we celebrate Advent. And I'm new into this. This is the church that introduced me to Advent. Actually, it introduced me to the church calendar and how cool it is. This morning, this morning marks Advent all around the world. Your brothers and sisters all over are beginning to celebrate Advent. And you're like, cool. Uh, I live in Southern California. I got it all already. I live in this beautiful climate. Uh, What am I waiting for? Right? I got it. Well, the word Advent literally means the arrival. We celebrate, and I did not know this until recently. We celebrate the arrival of Christ's first coming and the mystery. They didn't didn't know all how it was going to happen and how it was going to go down. You read the Gospels, you read Luke, you see Simeon and Anna, and you begin to realize some people were waiting in the moment, like they were ready for it. And other people were just kind of blindly sleepwalking, like some of us will be in one of two places, maybe a little bit in between when Christ comes back. Because we await a second coming with all of that same mystery, awe, and wonder laced up into it. And so Advent is not just about Christmas. Advent is about the coming Christmas morning. And yes, that's right. You're going to be like a five-year-old when it hits. It is going to be the best thing that ever stormed your world and tore down the walls of your castle. It's going to strip reality back away from us. It's going to reinvent everything we knew. I love it where this passage, I don't know if you caught it. God says, I will create new praise. The message, and I'm going to reread this passage through the message by Eugene Peterson. It actually says, I will create in you a new language of praise. That's one way to to translate. This version, the NIV says, I will create a new praise in you. The message says, I will create a new language of praise. If you've listened to Paul in the New Testament, you know we're going to need a new language to fully worship God. Like the language we have doesn't even do him justice. Heaven has its own language. It's going to be amazing. But that word, the arrival, we celebrate the mystery of Christ's first arrival through Mary, and we celebrate his second coming, his future arrival. And that's why on the church calendar, Advent is at the beginning and the end. This is the start of the new church calendar. It signifies the beginning and the end at the same time, the already and the not yet. And here's me and you in that valley, in that tension, living in that reality of, whew, I got to wait. It sounds amazing. It sounds awesome. The kingdom has come. The kingdom is coming. The kingdom will come. Peace on earth in one sense did begin already. The angels saw it. They could see the big picture, but they also knew that peace was going to come on earth now through the Prince of Peace. When the peace would start flooding human hearts. But even the apostles, before the risen Jesus, had the question, Lord, Is this the time you're going to 
restore the kingdom back to Israel. You, you remember that, right? He raises for 40 days. He appears with them 40 days, 40 nights. He's teaching them all about the kingdom of God, it says. I give anything to be a fly on the wall and hear those conversations. But we're given one. We're told about one conversation, and yet again, the disciples don't get it fully. Even after the resurrection... Lord, is this a time you're going to restore the kingdom back to Israel? See, they lived under an oppressive government. The Bible and Jesus coming, if nothing else, came in, into a real world. And is a real world kingdom. It may be the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. But it understands the kingdom of earth. They were under the oppression of Roman rule. And even though that was the case... The disciples are in that tension. Lord, now are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? No. He was going to bring peace to the world. If he gave the kingdom back to Israel, that means stomping all the oppressors, getting them out, judging the world, ending it all, showing them, showing them all. But he wasn't restoring the kingdom of Israel. He was restoring hope to the entire world. That's why we're waiting. That's not done. That's not finished. That's what Christmas signified. And Jesus, I like how he says to him, he goes, kingdom restoration is none of your business. He doesn't even answer the question. But your business from now on is kingdom expansion. Starting here in Jerusalem, into Judea, into Samaria, into the ends of the earth, you will be my witnesses. You see, the peace of God in your heart, that is how the peace of God spreads. It's as we have surrendered. Remember, back to that Bono quote, surrender to the kingdom of God. Peace on earth has begun. The reign of Christ has begun. He's subduing hearts, conquering subjects who kneel to him every day. But as Hebrews says, we do not yet see. When it talks about the reign of Christ, it says, sure, we don't yet see all things put under his feet. We don't see that yet. So today, we go to Isaiah, to that portion that we talked about, that talks about hope. And I'm going to reread this now from the message. I want you to listen to this passage one more time. Be a slightly different translation. Very beautifully put. I read a bunch of translations, and this is amazing. Listen to this. A message from the high and towering God who lives in eternity, whose name is holy. I live in high and holy places, but also with the low spirited, the spirit crushed. And what I do is I put a new spirit in them, get them up and on their feet again. For I'm not going to haul people into court endlessly. I'm not going to be angry forever. Otherwise, people would lose heart. These souls I created would tire out and give up. I was angry, good and angry, because of Israel's sins. I struck him hard and turned away in anger while he kept it his stubborn, willful ways. But when I looked again and saw what he was doing, I decided to heal him, lead him, and comfort him. Creating a new language of praise for the mourners. Peace to the far off. Peace to the near at hand, says God. And yes, I will heal them. 
Like we said, that whole passage is just filled with hope in this section of Isaiah that's all about hope. But verse 14 says, someone says, build, build, make a road, clear the way, remove the rocks from the road my people will travel. And I want to ask you, when you hear that, do you hear any other part of the Bible talking? Does that sound familiar at all to you? Anybody know? I want to take a stab. A little pop quiz on you on Sunday. It's a little unfair, I know. Anybody? Does that sound? Make way? Remove all the obstacles? Who's that sound like? John the Baptist! Seminary student in the background. Well done. Ex-seminary student. I, I know, but you, you went to Point Loma. It was like hardwired in there, right? It, 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 he kind of cheated. Yeah, yeah, reading them or knowing the Bible's cheating. You know, if you read it all the time, like, you're going to get these right. What hope that was. Make way, stop and think about that. Think about what that means. When he says, make way, take all of the obstacles out of their way. You know, you know what it, it literally means in the New Testament when he talks about it? He puts it in the term of a highway. Because the Romans came through and they built highways. Everywhere, ways that were just easy to bullet down the road on. And John the Baptist, when the apostles interpret, he's making a highway. He's making a Roman road straight to God. No obstacles, nothing in the way. Thousands of years later, when I lived in Britain, there's still Roman roads. They just paved over them. Sometimes they go whoop, way over the hill. They do not bend or turn. They're all straight. But think about that. Highway to God. That's what Jacob saw. Jacob, interesting. He saw that vision of Jesus, right? He saw the stairway coming down from heaven or the ladder, Jacob's ladder, whatever you want to call it. And a way between heaven and earth. And he says the angels were just, it was like a super highway. Angels zipping up and down it. And Jesus later said, I am that which Jacob dreamt about. What he hoped for. Because Jacob, you see, he was this man that thought he had to outsmart and outwit God and, and, and kind of get you know, God to do things. I don't know if you ever approach God like that. Like you think, if I'm good enough, you know, if, if I don't do this or I do this, maybe if I give more money or don't do naughty things, then God will like me more, look at me more, or, or maybe give me things or... Of course, say, no, we're Christians. We would never think such a thing. We know the gospel. We still act like Jacob sometimes. We become little deal brokers with God. Become little bargainers of spirituality. Trying to outwit God, outsmart God, never realizing that for God, all he ever wanted was a two-way relationship. Even with your failures, even with your pain, even with your struggles, even with... Sometimes you're struggling to hope, struggling to trust, struggling to have faith. God wants no obstacle in your way between you and him. He doesn't put him there. You stop and think about that. that that's a message of hope. And when Jesus comes, that's what he does, right? There are people that they weren't expecting him. Just boom, surprise. Jesus is just there. They turn around, woman going to get water at a well. And boom, there's the son of God sitting there. He's gone out of his way to come find her and to sit on a well with her. Removing all of the obstacles, that is great hope. Because the next verses are true. I live in the high and holy places, but also with the low spirit and the spirit, spirit crushed. What I do is put a new spirit 
and I get them up and on their feet again. And I love that. I am the high holy God, Isaiah says. He's talking about God. I am the high and holy God. Isaiah sees a vision of God, just so you know, that nobody sees any higher. When Isaiah the prophet talks about God, he talks about a God that is unapproachable. You remember that temple experience? Isaiah had just the train of his robe and just knocked for days. I'm a man of unclean lips, just destroyed. He says, I'm destroyed, I'm undone. But Isaiah also gives us a picture of God that is God coming down lower than he's ever come to be with his people. All the good stuff that you know of, these prophecies of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, all of these things are from Isaiah. There's this contrast, and God's painting that picture. I live in high and holy places, but also with the low-spirited and the spirit-crushed. In Jesus' first arrival at Christmas, it confirms us. It says this, uh, I want to I real quick shift back to Bono. I want to read to you from his new book, Surrender, when Christmas hit him. Listen to what he says. I am comforted by this idea of infinite love, the bigger picture beyond the frame. It throws me back to a Christmas Eve in the mid-1980s, desperately trying not to nod off during a carol service at St. Patrick's Cathedral in Dublin. Not long back from traveling, the body's still in another time zone. Allie, that's his wife, and I slip into the crowded cathedral at the last minute and happily settle for a pew right behind one of the great limestone pillars holding up the 12th century vaulted nave. Unable to see the choir or players in the Christmas narrative, I focus on listening to the Soprano Boys. Once in Royal David City stood a lowly cattle shed where a mother laid her baby in a manger for his bed. But soon enough, despite Allie's elbow in my ribs, I am drifting off. Drifting back off to my brief days at the school next door, musing on the Irish writer Jonathan Swift of Gulliver's Travels, once the dean here. Another elbow, and I cold water myself by trying to visualize mother and child sharing a delivery room with goats and sheep. The vulnerable nature of the nativity the messiness of childbirth swallowed among the crap and straw. Funny how your senses work. I can smell the scene. Poverty has its stench. The poetry and politics of the Christmas story hit me as if I were hearing it for the first time. The idea that some force of love and logic inside this mysterious universe might choose self-disclosure in the jeopardy of one impoverished child born on the edge of nowhere in a backwater village to teach us how we might live in service to one another is overwhelming. Its eloquence is overwhelming. Unfathomable power expressed in powerlessness. I nearly laughed out loud in the service. Inexpressible presence, choosing to be present not in palace but in poverty, in the verse, he feeleth our sadness and he shareth in our gladness. His first arrival told us if nothing else, he understood our pain, brokenheartedness, and as this passage puts it, crushed in spiritness. Jesus 
didn't come in the best of terms. He came at the worst of times in the worst of ways. A fugitive, poor, under an oppressive government, like you name it. Jesus knew all of it. Hope for the brokenhearted and the cast down and the spirit crushed. And that verse says, what I do is put a new spirit in them. Your world around you may not change, but the world within you is what he's here to change now during the waiting. I get them up on their feet again, for I'm not going to haul people into court endlessly. I'm not going to be angry forever. By the way, we're not waiting for that. That's now. Remember how he gave you the three breakups to Isaiah? The first one was judgment. That's already passed. For you, 2,000 years ago, the judgment of God, all 39 chapters of Isaiah were heaped on Jesus, and he paid the price. Done. For you. If you've put your faith in Christ, that is done. Future, the last 10 chapters of Isaiah, hope, the already and the not yet. But in between, do you, does anybody remember what I said that those chapters were about? From chapter 40 to 55, does anyone remember? Boom. So, Christian, in that waiting, it's about the comfort of what his first. Arrival has done. Advent is living in the tension between the comfort of what he has done when he came and the comfort of what he will do when he comes again. That is the power of Advent. And the beauty of that is that it's not a pie-in-the-sky, Pollyanna way of thinking, like, I'm just waiting for this magical thing. No, it's the comfort you experience now. Knowing the power, personally, of what he will do horizontally when he returns, when the kingdom that has come and is still coming finally comes. It is that place of comfort. You know, C.S. Lewis called it the Shadowlands. That place that every Christian lives in and walks in where they can see the shapes and the outlines. You can see the rough sketchings of the picture, the grayed out. It's not in full color yet. It's the shadowlands. But at least you can see the shadows. Whereas before all you saw was darkness. You at least see the outline of things to come. In this in-between, in this waiting place between two arrivals, there is a reality that we walk in now. And by the way, I would remind you, not just his coming, but his dying. Eugene Peterson was once asked what he thought of the world around him. The violence, the wars, everything else. He said, do you think Christianity has much to say to this? And without missing a blink, he said, yes, the cross. The cross. The cross tells us that God understands in this place of hope, the pain, and the disillusionment. Because the way he died was under an oppressive government. The way he died was through barbaric torture. The very symbol of our hope is a symbol of real world pain where God says, the way I even saved you 
shows you I too was a victim of this pain and suffering. Yet I took your judgment and all of that for you. And God says, and, and this is the beauty of this passage. God, if nothing else, is a realist. He says, I, I, I came down on Jacob and he still continued to act the same. Israel, that's another word for Jacob. I punished him. He didn't change. <laughs> if you ever read yourself in this passage and you think, well, what does this mean for me? Like I said, God, if nothing else, is a realist. I love that he says, but still I looked at him and I decided to heal him, to lead him, comfort him. <laughs> this is unrepentant, understand. It's not because of who Jacob was or Israel is. It's because of who he is. Creating a new language of praise for the mourners, peace to the far off, and peace to the near at hand, says God. And yes, I will heal them. I don't know where you're at today. I'm not God. I don't. But he so does. He knows if you're near and he knows if you're far. And you know what's beautiful is I'm sitting here preaching and echoing in the back of my mind is Paul in Ephesians saying, hey, he came and preached peace to those of you that were near, probably the Jews, those of you that were afar off, those waiting for it, and those completely blindsided by this hope. Like I said, this passage is filled with hope. God says, I will heal you. I will lead you. I will comfort you. I will give you a new language of praise. And I will give you peace. So if you're wondering... What comfort looks like, my friends. Isaiah chapter 57 just spelled it out very clearly. Healing, leading, comforting, new language of praise, and peace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you came the first time. You came to us when we were like Israel. We didn't deserve anything. We don't deserve anything now. <laughs> Lord, if nothing else, being Christians shows us all the more that we deserve nothing. The more we know you like Isaiah, the more we see that you are the Holy One high and lifted up, that you dwell in high and lofty places, and yet you say to us, you reveal yourself as that baby in the manger, giving us hope when you say, but I also dwell. I also have an address where I live with those that are crushed and broken and in a ditch. Lord, I was laughing this morning when I just got out of bed and thought, man, some days I'm like E.T. where my heart's glowing and my fingers lighting up and I'm bringing healing to people around me. And other times I'm pasty white like E.T. lying at the bottom of a ditch. Ellie is trying to find me, and I'm just saying, phone home, because I'm wrecked. Peace to those who are near, and peace to those far off. Lord, at Advent, we thank you. We live in the tension. We live in the comfort. The already and not yet. May your kingdom come. 
May your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Do I dismiss? Uh, do I get to say the blessing? Will they let me do that? While, while they're getting that blessing up, I do want to let you know um, I work for an app. This is a little shameless self-promotion. I'm just really excited about it. And in the app, it's called Through the Word. And uh, I'm a content creator on there. And uh, I just, they published John's Gospel. And I'm just excited because it's like number four on version right now. So it kind of like, the app like does really well. But it, if, if you want to get a chance to go through Advent listening to John's Gospel, uh, 10 minutes a day is to help people that don't know the Bible get to know it better. So, uh, where's our blessing? Do I get to say it? Hey, do you guys know this by heart? All right, ready? Let's, uh, let's say this together. Rejoice in knowing that we never walk alone. Know the grace and peace of Christ walking beside us, guiding and protecting us. Share this comfort with one another and feel his presence each moment of each day. Amen.